Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday, the 9th of March 2020. Mark Pender is on the US East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. As if the coronavirus wasn't enough, Friday's collapse of the agreement between OPEC and non-OPEC countries over production levels and Saudi Arabia's subsequent decision to slash its oil price have added a new dimension to the uncertainties currently plaguing financial markets. Yesterday, oil prices were down around 30% at one point as OPEC's largest producer responded to Russia refusal to cut output in order to shore up prices. Tumbling oil duly prompted a fresh wave of panic selling in equity markets, which, with the S&P 500 opening limit down, saw their worst trading day since the global financial crisis. At the same time, government bond yields continue to post new record lows. In fact, the entire US yield curve yesterday moved below 1%, while its Eurozone counterpart is still sub-zero. In the foreign exchange markets, losers have predictably been the petrocurrencies such as Norwegian Krona, which saw a new record low against the dollar yesterday, um, Mexican peso and Russian ruble, which uh, at one point was down over 8%. Not surprisingly, the winners have been the regional safe havens such as the Japanese yen and Swiss franc, but not so much the dollar or upside potential remains hampered by speculation about more rate cuts. As we record today, there's been a bit of a pullback in markets, in no small way it seems due to hopes for some possible coordinated action on fiscal policy. And that's probably just as well, because at least 13 central banks around the world have reduced interest rates by between 25 and 200 basis points, either just before or since the Fed made its emergency 50 basis point cut last Tuesday, and that without having any sustained impact on the markets. Notably missing from this list are the Bank of England, Bank of Japan and ECB, but all have scheduled policy announcements over the next couple of weeks or so. There is still time for, well, let's say some loose coordination to be delivered. Meantime, in Italy, the Eurozone's third largest economy and the main European virus hotspot, all 60 million citizens are now essentially in lockdown. So, Mr Pender, financial markets are already discounting another round of aggressive Fed cuts as well as some government fiscal action. What's yeah. the latest your side? Well, we have a FOMC coming up and uh, it, you know, the expectations are for another significant cut just like that after yesterday's meltdown in the markets. How big are we talking? Perhaps 50 basis points. Um, you know, I, I, I guess there's a couple of things I, I would like to point out. Uh, uh, the second, of, before I forget, is how are we going to do a coordinated action of fiscal policy? But I'll pass that on uh, later. But the first is is that um, uh, the central banks um, in their lingo are um, gauging um, – they will be acting, uh, such as Italy, for instance. They'll be acting saying, well, the, the, the virus is going to have a significant effect on economic uh, policy. But they wouldn't really be saying that if the markets were stable. Um, their view of how the virus is going to affect the economy is really, it's the dog wagging the tail. It's the, it's the markets dictating to the central banks um, uh, what they think or what the markets think is going to happen. Now, the markets are, are you know, I'm not really sure that they're the, the, the proper bar barometer to judge scientifically to judge the impact of a health issue. Um, they're, uh, you know, they're highly leveraged and a lot of what we're seeing are, uh, margin calls and, and related to uh, collapsed positions and those kinds of things. So that's creating an exaggerated effect that's going to have a self-fulfilling effect on the um, 
on the actual uh, damage that's being done to the global economy. I just wanted to get that out. And now I want to get back to the coordinated action on fiscal policy. How is this really possible? And how will it, and I, I'm very curious, how is it going to play among the, the sovereign nations in Europe? How is that going to play out? What will we, what, what does the ECB uh, uh, expect? If the ECB does nothing or very little on Thursday, then um, and they will be hitting the the ball into the court for the the, the fiscal policy. What, what, how did how should we expect that to unfold? Okay, well, let's kick off with the ECB then. Um, as you mentioned, their meeting is on Thursday. Um, I think the general expectation and kind of what's priced into the market at the moment is that we really won't see that much. I mean, at most probably a, perhaps a, a 10 basis point off the deposit rate, which currently stands at minus 0.5%. And this is really the big problem for the ECB in the sense that interest rates are already quite well deep into negative territory. Um, a number of members of the ECB have made Made lots of comments to the effect that they're not happy about the, uh, the dislocation and the distortions being called in caused in two financial markets due to the fact we've got these sub-zero rates and at the end of the day most simply don't want to reduce rates much further. Now I think they can do some other bits and pieces. I mean they could increase their quantitative easing and that's currently running at what net asset purchases of 20 billion euros a month but bear in mind that they had problems actually re reinstigating the program back in November last year when the eurozone economy was starting to slow down so it's hard to see that being i think increased by a great deal what was the problems the problem really was, and this, and this is it's kind of connected to the uh, the deposit rate, the fact that a number of uh, members really take the view that ECB policy has been too loose for too long. Um, some of the more hawkish members are worried that this on uh, what was then yeah, an ongoing increase in the size of the ECB's balance sheet will ultimately prove to be inflationary. Now, you can argue you know, whether that might or might not be the case, but certainly for some of the longstanding hawks, their view is that there's still this kind of loose relationship between monetary growth and what's going to happen to inflation down the road. And this ongoing supply of credits of credit into the markets was boosting money supply and crucially, you know, leading to the inappropriate buying of risky assets to levels above where they should be just on the basis of fundamentals. So I think you know, there's, a, there's a certainly a hard core within the ECB at the moment, which notwithstanding the problems we got to do with the coronavirus and all price uncertainty and everything else, which really doesn't want to do anything. So the bottom line, I suppose, is that, you know, I'd be surprised if they don't do something because I think pretty well every other major central bank is going to do at least a little something, whatever that may be. So the ECB can't afford really to be seen to be doing absolutely nothing. But the danger is it's going to be mainly tinkering, which takes us to what you're saying about this coordination of, of fiscal policy. I think you're right. I mean, it's going to be very difficult to get a, a real coordinated view. But I think as we touched on last week, there will be a meeting of Eurozone finance ministers that's scheduled for the 16th of March. March. And more and more pressure is being put on those finance ministers to come out with some kind of reflationary package. That pressure, I suspect, will be added to when we get to the ECB meeting on Thursday, because they're kind of you know, reading between the lines or perhaps not even having to do that. They're going to intimate, look, there's not really a great deal more that we can do. They'll still talk up markets and say, look, we've got our toolbox to help things out. But the bottom line for them is that they really need help from, from the politicians. And of course, the likes of Italy, well, they've already got this 7 billion euro plan, you know, anti-coronavirus plan, if you like, already in train. But 
from what's going on out there now, and particularly now they have this complete almost shutdown of the economy, it's probably going to be substantially larger. So I think what markets will need from the finance ministers next week, if not before, is that they're going to play around or at least lift some of the limits uh, on borrowing that are contained in this growth and stability pact, which essentially lays down the, you know, the upper limits for the debt and borrowing by the national nations. But if we can get that, there's also a lot of talk that tomorrow in the UK, when we get the budget being announced over here, we're going to get, I'll be very surprised if it's not a very stimulative budget coming out of the UK. And there's also at least a possibility it could be coordinated with a cut in interest rates from the Bank of England. Now, the bank, like most central banks, don't really doesn't really like to move between its scheduled meetings. But as we saw with the Fed last week, when push comes to shove, you know, they may be prepared to do it. So it's certainly not guaranteed, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the bank come out, Bank of England come out and cut by perhaps 50 basis points tomorrow, alongside a loose fiscal stimulus package, which at least then helps to provide a more coordinated signal to market saying, look, we are taking this seriously. Well, no, and I see to no. if I'll just quickly throw it back to you. Uh-huh. There's been a lot of stuff on you know, rumours and so on about Donald Trump today coming out and talking about what he's going to do to support the US economy. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know you know what what weight to attach to that but that can be tied in with you know the bank of england sort of and treasury tomorrow uh-huh. and and finance minister from eurozone next week it may not be perfectly coordinated but it's kind of pulling it together well that's a question that was a, and that's a a good uh, segue back to you is uh he you know the uk has uh, boris johnson uh, the U.S. has Donald Trump. Who, for investors, uh, for the headlines, uh, who, what name should we be looking for coming out of Europe telling us about a coordinated fiscal policy? Well, for the U.K., because we're a standalone, it's just going to be the U.K. Chancellor. Uh, in terms of what, in terms of the eurozone finances ministers, we don't have, if you like, a you know, the UK has a chancellor of exchequer. Um, the eurozone does not have the equivalent. What it will do, though, it will put out a communique about what it's decided to do. That may be through some press person, but there's going to be communicate issued, I suspect, next week, if not before, which should actually indicate what they're planning to do. And this will be um, outside the G7. Well, this, yeah, this is, well, of course, it could be in tandem with G7 if they can actually manage to get it that far. Because I think it's, it's interesting, we've had some comments coming out of Japan, which are intimating that the Japanese government is looking at what it can do to, you know, to ease problems out there. You know, we've got it in Europe. It's so, and if, if Trump and co are looking to do the same thing, they might finally, you know, all get together and decide, well, look, perhaps the only way we can really turn this thing around on a sustainable fashion is if we actually announce something, you know, at the same time. So it could even be some kind of G7 statement, although clearly we don't, we don't know about that yet. So it's going to be, in a way, it's going to be related to tax cuts and how low can tax cuts go. We've already seen for central banks, interest rates, they can go, I guess, pretty much down to zero or or, or less. That has already done That's something I want to ask you about, actually, because one thing which is interesting, because... You know, the problem, as we know, with the ECB is that rates have hit rock bottom to all intents and purposes already. Now, the Bank of England, we over here, we have our bank rate at 0.75%. But we've had some comments coming out from the Bank of England Governor Carney, who's about to leave, and Andrew Bailey, his successor, both effectively saying that they don't think it's a good idea for interest rates to go sub-zero. So it looks as if the floor for bank rate in the UK is either going to be zero or 0.25 percent. Um, what's the floor stateside? Huh. Well, how far can they go? 
Oh, well, I mean, they're, all they're, they're, one, their, their target is at one and one eighth right now, but that's the highest level <laughs> on the curve. It's the overnight rate. Uh, you oh. know, the, the, uh, the market's telling them that the, you know, interest rates are going down to zero. Um, I, I guess we're at about 0.5 right now in the tenure and what in the last month or six weeks, that's gone down 100 basis points or more or something like that. It's been in this incredible collapse in uh, in interest rates, which is, you know, th that's signaling to the to the Fed that traditional policy has been out the window. And uh, uh, what can they do? Um, uh, a, a, you know, printing money, directly buying bonds or directly buying corporate bonds or directly buying if they turn to buying stocks. Uh, and how long can that go? Um, it's a credibility issue. And then back to fiscal policy. I mean, can, there, can these uh, countries run uh, uh, increasing uh, debt? Uh, maybe some can, and maybe the U.S. can. But, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, to me, it might be the same as monetary policy. Economic policy seems to be being, uh, becoming handcuffed or being, uh, it, it's losing its effectiveness. Maybe it was overdone. Maybe there was too much of it. Maybe... Um, and, and, you know, too much QE going back to uh, Ben Bernanke. Um, and, uh, but I guess it's, it's playing out now, but it definitely seems to me that uh, the markets are leading policy. And the markets are, 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 because of leverage in the markets, they can be unstable. I think that's very, very true. I think uh, from the from the politician side, you know, trying to put, you know, ignore you know, the extent I mean, you can't do, but try to ignore what the markets are trying to make you to do. But I think what they are looking at are some of you know the fundamentals of economic growth and what governments should be doing to ensure that, let's say, a perfectly healthy, financially sound company, wherever that company may be, to make sure it doesn't go belly up simply because what ought to be ultimately a short-term impact from the coronavirus, mm -hmm. which is why I think we could well see coordination, let's take the UK, between you know, Her Majesty's Treasury over here at the Bank of England to make mm -hmm. sure that once we get into tomorrow, there's going to be you know, targeted lending, targeted facilities made available so, so that companies which really in normal circumstances would have no problem accessing credit at times when they might have perhaps some cash flow problems, you know, that they can still access liquidity to see them through this, that they can come out the other side. Because mm -hmm. I think the real risk otherwise is we'll end up with a lot of, you know, perfectly sound um, companies being well managed, which just disappear because they have a cash flow problem, they can't get credit, and they just mm -hmm. fold. Mm -hmm. And once the coronavirus is out of the way, well, too late, they've gone, so they've got to start again. Mm -hmm. So I think there's certainly some aspects which policymakers you know, really do have to undertake just to try and keep things going as normally as they possibly can do. Mm -hmm. um, what else we got? I suppose one thing, which is going to be interesting, just sorry, taking it back to the UK for the moment, but say the focus at the moment is on the budget and what the B of E might do. Of course, at the moment, we have the good old post-Brexit trade negotiations going on. Mm. And there's now some talk that, well, if we get to the stage this virus continues to escalate, that the meetings can't take place as they should do, then could it be that the timetable will actually be jeopardised again? Mm. Uh, Boris Johnson's stance currently is that well, he's already come out and banged the drum and said that if he doesn't see any real signs of progress by June, then he's more than happy to walk away from the table with no deal, which, to be honest, is absolutely the last thing UK financial markets want at the moment and probably ditto the rest of Europe as well. Um, but, it, you know, it just it 
could be the case that if markets start getting agitated about this, um, that you know, it'd be you know, yet another level of uncertainty that investors are going to have to deal with at a time when they really don't need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I suppose you also mentioned the likes of the, the Swiss National Bank. I mean, yes. so far, of course, they haven't done anything. And we've talked about them in, in previous podcasts. But, you know, of course, Swiss franc is still by far and away. Yeah, you know, the European it, 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 jumped, it, it jumped yesterday. I, I don't even was it three percent or something like that. It was. It uh, did. It had a very good run. And certainly, in terms of uh, the cross European flows, the uh, the Swiss franc has had a very good. We've had a very good week, to be honest. But particularly over the last few days, it's done extremely well. And as as we speak, Euro Swiss franc is trading at one point, which is about one point zero six. So that's um, Swiss francs per euro, um, and it's really oh, you've got to say what about ten percent or so, really below where the Swiss National Bank would want to see it. So it really does mean this currency is far too strong as they're concerned. But again, it's a bit like the ECB. A lot of the SMB say they've got a minus 0.75% deposit rate or policy rate, I should call it anyway. They don't want to cut it anymore. And looking at some of their, their weekly data, it looks as if the SMB has been intervening increasingly aggressively over the course of the last week or so to try and stop the Swiss franc appreciating. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we get another blow up in the virus or whatever it may be, and this thing continues to appreciate, then it may be they just simply have to come out and cut rates, particularly well, if they take cuts again in ECB. Well, Switzerland borders the 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 most the hardest hit area of Italy, um, and so I imagine the virus uh, effect that w- we may see it appear there. Yeah, I mean, a moment. I mean, I think you know, really within Europe, everyone's kind of just crossing their fingers. I mean, Italy is by far and away, you know, the most hit area. I mean, Germany is a long way behind the next one. Um, Let me yeah, throw out Austria. Have you heard about Austria? Um, Austria, off the top of my head, I must say, I'm not sure where they stand at moments in terms of the coronavirus. I think, um, in probably in line with um, Germany, um, I think they've got, you know, got some cases, but you know, nothing like as bad as it might be. Um, the main focus at the moment is very much upon Italy, and of course for Europe. You know, investors are looking at Italy with a view to, well, should we use this as some kind of benchmark for the rest of the continent? Um, but I think, to be honest, I'm, the hope is that Italy are so far ahead of everybody else that the other countries won't catch up. I saw that Spain's market is, is not doing well. Um, how do they fit into the Eurozone? They're, they're the fourth largest economy? Uh, that's right. Um, so, again, it's... it's it's nothing like as large as the Germany, which is, I think, you know, the big worry. Well, I say the big worry. Obviously, Italy is a big worry for, for Eurozone at the moment anyway. Um, but Spain comes in behind Italy in terms of the pecking order and France and obviously Germany is at the top. The big mm-hmm. worry there is that, you know, we do see, you know, Germany starting to move into some kind of Italy style of quarantining which would you know really then give the eurozone massive problems i have I think, one i have one yeah. I, I hate to bring something like this up but you know when you uh, there doesn't seem to be a, a central health authority uh we have the world uh was it the world um health what is it the world health WHO, WHO, uh, yeah, world health we have yeah. we have the cdc over here but we don't have an overall one and when you watched the jap uh, the chinese um, effects they were you know, there was concerns of uh, that the virus could be spread on goods. I mean, 
is is this a possibility and <laughs> will this affect imports and exports i don't know i'm not having me able to attend my virology class last week and I, <laughs> I don't actually know but yes i mean whether or not it's actually transmittable through such items I'm, i honestly don't know but it's, it's got to it's got to be a scare factor so i was just looking and answered your question on spain um, as we currently speak, I mean, Italy has a total of 9,172 cases. Spain is 1,650. So it's actually running at, where are we? One, two, three, four, fifth in the list of mm. um, outstanding cases ahead of France at 1,606 and then Germany at 1,307. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, yeah, interesting times, really. Unfortunately, um, yeah. Yeah, not really for the best. Um, what else should we mention? Before we go, I must ask you, um, mm -hmm. in U.S. employment report, wow. so there's one thing oh. just to say, you know, backing up, looking at the U.S., one would assume going into this problem, the U.S. economy weren't doing too badly, yeah. whereas Europe, by and large, was struggling and therefore more susceptible. So mm -hmm. what did the, um, the latest employment report tell us about you know, the state going on out there? 273,000. Uh, Sounds good. Uh, they revised the prior. These are extraordinarily strong. Uh, they revised the prior number in January to two, up, upward to two seventy three. The unemployment rates at three point five. Still no uh, significant uh, inflation, uh, uh, wage inflation. Um, I was just out in Southern California and I saw help wanted signs uh, uh, on all the retailers as I, I do out here in the East Coast. Uh, so there is uh, a, a, a very very strong. Um, employment market here and it's really the hot spot in the US is new homes new homes are just spiking right now the construction is uh, on fire residential and non-residential and it's uh, both because of low interest rates strong employment but also non-residential is is also uh, rising construction payrolls shot through the have been shooting through the roof um, so uh, that's an interesting point we'll see, you know how you know I mean if interest rates keep going down and down and down uh, you know the Fed uh, you know the Treasury is going to you know when they auction securities now with, with these new low rates the financing of the debt is going to be very uh, you know the, the stress is going to be gone because that that the net interest expense on the budget has has been uh, rising sharply and now that probably isn't going to be because of the of the increased debt but but now that's going to be uh, coming down so maybe what we're looking at, uh, you know, it's not only tax cuts, but just, you know, a aggressive fiscal spending. I'm not sure where it can go if it can actually continue to increase U.S. employment, for instance. I'm not sure what that's what that means. No, I think that's a fair point. Well, there's got to be something in Europe where, you know, they've been managing down these budget deficits for, you know, really ever since the last, you know, the, the global recession. There is scope for some significant, you know, government spending, I think, to take place. And, and as you mentioned, because interest rates are so low, mm -hmm. I mean, in many ways, just in a pure costing viewpoint, now's the chance to do it. If they do public projects and build roads and... And, th yeah. and canals and things they need people to build them right yeah ex exactly back back to good old good old wholesome keynesianism um yeah. and one other thing just mentioned in terms you know the, the way inflation is so low it's, it's helping to you know just keep these rates down we're just quickly just going back to all prices now i think you know, mm. you know we talk 
previously that you know when it comes to looking at you know our central bank view prices they look at you know underlying rates of inflation not just the headline rate particularly and partly because of you have these swings in all prices sure. well in terms of the latest opec developments from what i've seen coming out of saudi arabia and they're talking about increasing their supply from february i think it was 9.7 million barrels a day up to 12.3 million once we get into april right. so i mean that is a huge boost um in fact it suggests that they're actually going to have to you know, dip into inventories mm -hmm. just to be able mm -hmm. to supply that much but if they're doing that then it means that we're not just talking about a temporary blip down in no, all prices exactly. we're talking about a level which could be you know give or take I don't know, ten dollars a barrel, whatever, an could be around for some time. An in extended, case, an extended yeah. thing that would pull down underlying inflation. Yeah. So what exactly? Yeah, the double, the second round effects, and what hope mm -hmm. of getting inflation higher then? And you know, what the Saudis must be trying to uh, uh, interrupt or damage Russian production. Now, this happened several years back uh, uh, here in the U.S. Uh, with the uh, alternative. Um, uh, production, the horizontal shale fracking, and so they tried to uh, lower the price and uh, move those uh, and make all those investments um, uh, uh, unprofitable. So I, I so it must be aimed at Russian production. So how long? The question is, how long can the Russians withstand it? I guess their budget looks has been uh, pr uh, pr uh, relatively balanced, and maybe they can sustain some kind of a. Uh, of a lengthy thing, but that's going to be if oil. I mean, if if that's what the play is now between these two producers, well, the U.S. is going to be affected too. Uh, yeah, and, and producers here are going to are start are, will, will start to go broke if this lasts very long. Well, this is sort of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because um, if you're a consumer, it's well, hey, you know, lower prices is good news when you're filling up at the pump. You have more disposable income to spend on other things. But if you're in the oil industry, then you're mm -hmm. facing a really torrid time now. Mm -hmm. all right on which happy note inconclusive <laughs> note we wait to see what our dear policymakers around the world will decide to do um you finish your side i guess yeah okay well, that's it then for this week so many countries many um countries central banks have done or at least started to do their bit so pressure now really is on the politicians and fiscal policy to do some of the heavy lift lifting hopefully by this time next week they'll be well on their way to do just that but in any event uh, be set for continued high levels of volatility in the meantime from mark and myself thanks for listening do keep watching econo day's global economic calendar for updates on all the important data and events stay well and we'll see you next time bye for now